All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 57 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger along with uh, Frank Saravalli. First time ever we are live in person for the Rundown. Frank, of course, it's always presented by in studio at uh, woodjerseys.com, an official licensed NHL product. You have them in all the teams that you like. Well, not all of them yet, but they're getting them all. The new Seattle one's fantastic. They got uh, a new Edmonton one, Toronto, Boston. We've seen lots. So get it at woodjerseys.com. You can get it in your fan cave. You can get it at your office. They look great. And uh, Frank, excited to have you here. You're in town for the uh, the nation third annual uh, golf tournament. And uh, man, I, I, this should be a big deal for you. You just got your first ever hole in one this week. No pressure. I mean, yeah. like, come on, like, yeah, that live was up big to it, thing. buddy. Like, as soon as I I hit a hole in one, I put it on the gram, and and Jay Downton, our CEO of of Oilers Nation, the Nation Network, and Daily Faceoff, he immediately comments. He's like, "Yeah, no pressure playing in our tournament in a few weeks. You got to deliver it." So, uh, just excited to be out and about and be in Canada. It's my first trip to Canada in, in a couple of years since the pandemic, and um, yeah, you get to see me live and in the flesh. Our, you know, we get to do the show. I I popped a couple roasty coffees is the one like benefit of of you know being at home like you don't have to smell my breath after a couple roasty coffees so <laughs> well, i got enough space here we're not gonna get yeah, that all right. close yeah all right well <laughs> just saying uh, so. now and the other thing is frank just so you know because uh, you and i are uh, uh, teaming up we uh, we auctioned off a uh, twosome to play with us for uh, for charity and uh, just, just so you know, um, third, uh, this, of course, uh, we're, we're pre-recording this on Wednesday. 
And uh, this will come out on, on Friday. We've got uh, two guests uh, for Fridays and Mondays pod that we're doing today, but uh, on, on the golf term, that'll be my first round of the year. Wow. So what, what are we expecting? You know, what's funny. I've uh, looked back my first, my first three rounds are usually probably my best rounds of the year. One or two of my best rounds of the year. I play better when I have no expectations on myself. So plus it's a scramble. So I feel like I got we'll zero pressure. Fun. I'm like, yeah. I can have four good drives. No problem. And uh, I've always been better for my irons anyway. Right. And uh, as long as I never have to putt first, I can't read a green to save my life, but if someone puts well, first see, I'm good at me that. and I see it, then I'm fine. So my, I think my issue, and I was asking Tyler about the course, like, Sounds like there's a lot of trees, so you're going to have to keep it in the fairway, which oh, wow. for me, like I'm sort of a ham and egg kind of guy. Like the nice thing nothing. about the place that I play is like, you can hit it way left and you know, you're always going to have a shot. Okay. Even if you're on the next fairway over, like yeah. you're good. But with a lot of trees, I might be in some trouble. So oh, there's a few trees at Cougar Creek, but uh, it's a great course. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, I'm looking forward to the atmosphere. Like everyone's oh, it's a building party. up. The, it's a big party. The Oilers atmosphere. nation uh, group. I'm, you know, looking forward to meeting everyone. And like, they're like, they're opening the pint for us at 9am. So, yeah. well, you're, you're on the bus. So uh, I'm just hoping you can make it for tee off because uh, you either do a sh one shot before 10 or, or uh, nine before one. So good luck with that. We'll see what route I go. <laughs> and then, and then that yeah. in turn will determine how well we play yeah. golf. Well, that's good. Might and, be uh, better with the nine shots. Yeah. So uh, oh. I take as many shots in my game as I can get. Ah, nothing wrong with that. That's great. Now, uh, not a whole bunch uh, going on. It's obviously kind of the, uh, the slow time in the national hockey League, other than the Broussard signing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Derek Broussard going to the flyers on a one-year deal. Eight twenty-five is his deal. And I don't, you can never have too many centers. And like, that's the thing. Like, I think Broussard is such an accomplished player with what he's done in the league. And I think in some ways a little bit, um, off the radar, like he's still been a productive goal scorer. So, um, you know, I think that's just a nice little ad, you know, you see, you, you check out your board and you see, you know, a guy of his veteran savvy on a no risk with, you know, being able to bury a, a million to five, if you need to in the AHL, like what, why not just take a chance? You can never have too many of those guys in your lineup. Well, you look at, at that division with Carolina and the Islanders who have been to the final four, two years in a row, got Washington, got Pittsburgh, Philadelphia. I thought after a, a very good 2020 season, many expected them to take a big leap in 2021 and they didn't, they went backwards. And I think that's a team that's poised for a big rebound. And then you got the New York Rangers. I think the New York, like if the New York Rangers can avoid a terrible start, which has haunted them the last two seasons, they they easily could be a playoff team. So you got six. What about the devil? You're not even, I mean, like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think the devils are there yet. They may not be, but I think they're going to, they're no longer going to be the easy two points to grab. Like you add Dougie Hamilton, you see Nico Heischer continue to take a step. You see Hughes. I mean, like those guys are all getting better and mm -hmm. better. And, and then you add a little bit of depth around that team. Like their defense is significantly better. Dougie Hamilton graves, like all of a sudden that team is not a pushover to play against. And, you know, every night in that, you know, even Columbus, like they're not, I don't think they're going to be very good. But I think they're going to be difficult to play against. Yeah, they'll be. They're, they're always historically being a competitive team. Yeah. Like they, they work hard, always have, and so I just I'm fascinated to watch that division specifically. And you know, I look at Philly; it's almost like an arms race. You just got to get as many veterans as you feel. You know, Broussard. If Broussard's in your in, on your fourth line, he's got a lot of skill, right? Like he can play in a lot of different roles as a veteran player. So actually, it's it's a kind of a low risk sign. There's no risk. It's yeah. not low risk. It's no risk. If it yeah. doesn't work out, that's it.
put him on waivers, see if he goes somewhere else. And if not, the AHL team's just up the road. Yeah. Well, let's get right into it, of course, because we got a, a big guest. Our, our big guest delivered to you by DoorDash. Now, if you've never used DoorDash, it'll deliver food, everything right to your door. It's fantastic. It's convenient. If you've never tried it, use the promo code RUNDOWNDD, and that will get 25% off for first-time users and no delivery fees. Our next guest is the pride of Villanova, Pennsylvania. He is also a childhood friend. We played minor hockey together growing up, and he made it to the NHL as a player. I made it as a reporter, and now he's joining us on the media side, the dark side. He's been on the dark side for a while. As an analyst, uh, most recently you know him from ESPN's college hockey coverage. He is uh, an NCAA national champion, scored the overtime national championship winning goal with the Boston University Terriers. He's a second round NHL draft pick, played four NHL games. Uh, the Daily Faceoff DFO Rundown is pleased to welcome Colby Cohen to the podcast. Colby, how you doing? I'm good, guys. Uh, excited to be here. I've, I've been following along since you guys launched this and, and you guys have had some awesome guests, so uh, getting to, you know, getting the call out of the bullpen from you, Frank, was was uh, a pleasured surprise for me. Well, hey, look, we've got uh, some exciting things to talk about because you're joining the Chicago Blackhawks as a content analyst. You're actually in the process of moving to Chicago to the Windy City. Uh, tell us about your new role and what you're going to be doing with the Hawks. <clears throat> yeah, so obviously really excited. Um, you know, the Blackhawks is, is an organization that most guys want to play for when they're in their playing career. And, and all the guys that played there um, always tell you how well they're treated and, and how much they enjoyed it. And, you know, I've worked some events like the winter classic where I've got to work with the Hawks when we did the Notre Dame one, I was calling that game for Westwood one and, you know, getting to know their staff and their coaches and Stan and everybody has always treated me really well there over, you know, previous years. And so my experience with the club has always been really positive. Um, so, you know, when I started to have this opportunity potentially come up and I started picking people's brains, you know, I, everyone said the same thing to me about working there and, and, you know, what kind of, you know, atmosphere it is all the way, like from ownership all the way down. So I'm excited. It's an unbelievable opportunity. It's a little bit of a different position um, as a content analyst, sort of it's a diverse role and, and gives me the ability to sort of appear on all the different TV channels, um, you know, in game, in the booth, when Eddie's, uh, you know, on national TV duties between the glass um, you know, getting to be in the studio a lot of nights, getting to do stuff digitally, social media. It's kind of this like all-encompassing role in, in getting to be a part of the Blackhawks coverage because they, they very much have talked about, you know, wanting to do more for their fans and wanting to bring more behind the scenes, uh, more opinions, more uh, connectivity with their fan base. And I think that's kind of part of my role. And, and it's, it's exciting for me because it's an original six. It's in a great city. Um, and like you mentioned, we're, our movers are coming in a couple of days here to start taking my furniture. Colby, how did you land here? Um, for those listening that may have not known your story, um, 
you know, you end up hanging up your skates a couple of years back and, and you sort of start this transition into the media world and you've done a lot of different things in different places. You know, you've done the, the Flyers studio work for their regional broadcast on NBC Sports. You've done a lot of radio, uh, including some prominent events, playoff games, you know, big stuff on Westwood One. How do you think all that, you know, prepared you for this? And, and also what's it been like for you navigating through all those different things and also trying to figure out sort of what you want to do in life? Yeah, um, it's funny to think about how I got here. And honestly, I, I think I realized uh, probably by the end of my entry level contract that I was not going to most likely be an NHL player. Um, you know, I was, my, I was trending the wrong way in, in my development as a player. And, uh, you know, I took a stab at overseas and I, I just kind of quickly realized that, look, I love the game of hockey. I had a decent little run, you know, with the NHL, with pro hockey, had a great experience college. I had an education and I said, I think, I think it's time when I was about 25, 26, I had had my hips operated on three times, uh, my groin operated on twice. And it just like, it wasn't working for a number of reasons. And so I decided that, you know, hockey, my playing was done and I was just really lucky guys. Like I got a couple of lucky relationships that I had built in new England, you know, being there as much as I was. And I got an opportunity to do some work at Neston. I was terrible but they liked me. So they let me do a little bit more. I was God awful to the point where I did a Michigan, North Dakota game. I have never felt so bad about myself after looking at social media, after I called that hockey game in the NCAA tournament, I was like, maybe this isn't for me. Like it was really bad. And Frank, I actually remember talking to you about it um, early on and, you know, I've, pretty crappy about it. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to quit. I like this. I like around the guys. I like talking to coaches. So I kind of kept working at it. I watched it back as painful as it was and boys, it was painful. Um, and then I just kind of making phone calls, got lucky and CBS sports gave me a couple more games and I started to get a little more comfortable. Um, and then it kind of just grew from there. And then I got another NCAA tournament, which I had to beg for because they were pretty much not going to bring me back. Um, and that kind of started to propel me in and until I landed the radio job with Westwood one for the Olympics. Uh, and again, total luck. Uh, the, the NHL wasn't going. So all the good people were busy and I, I got an opportunity to go over and do the Olympics and that kind of blossomed into winter classics and playoffs and kind of got me involved in the NHL and, and, it's sort of been like small little dominoes for the last four or five years to this opportunity with the Blackhawks presented itself, which when I first got an, a call last year from the Blackhawks, right after the NCAA tournament, they asked if I could come out and fill in for Eddie. I was looking around at the dinner table that night as I sat with John Butchigross and Barry Melrose to see like who under the table was texting me from like a number that I didn't have. Cause I thought the guys were messing with me. So uh, like I seriously didn't even believe it. Um, so it's, it's been kind of a combination of just kind of working at it and being hypercritical and, and to look at, you know, different analysts and people that I respect, or maybe some that I think could do more and try to figure out, all right, you know, I don't have the resume that, uh, 
a guy with 500 games in the league played, but what can I do or where can I go with this that they haven't? And, you know, I've just been fortunate to kind of end up where I am. When you look back on the game and you felt like you were terrible, what part of your calling was terrible that you've improved on the most since? Oh, I just had no confidence. I had no idea how to evaluate. And I think that was the biggest thing. I mean, I honestly, when I first started doing TV, I called Frank all the time to ask about players that I knew, but I just didn't know how to evaluate them. I just don't think just because you played doesn't mean you know how to evaluate just because you played probably doesn't mean you know how to coach either. And I think learning how to watch a hockey game and dissect what's going on. It's not given. You've got to watch with a critical eye at home. You've got to write things down. You've got to watch it back. You've got to watch replays. Um, you know, you got to hear yourself talking about things and thinking to yourself, would I want to hear someone talk about this? If I was sitting on my couch, is this interesting to me? So you kind of, what I did, and, and I, I had to sort of change the lens at which I watched the game and blend my personal experience as a player, the ups, the downs, um, the skill, uh, you know, all those different things. And then I had to sort of um, put this like analytical evaluation lens over my eyes and like, how do you evaluate it and then articulate it to the audience so you're, you're interesting. And so you sound like, you know what you're talking about. Did you find yourself doing a lot of practicing like at home in the mirror? Would, would you watch games on mute and, and do play by play or in game analysis yourself? Yeah. So never on mute, but the mental reps are huge for me because I've never had a full-time gig at TV. I've been doing 20 games for the flyers and eight games for ESPN and four on the radio. And I've got a different producer and a so my reps have always been a little bit sporadic. And so what I do is I don't put it on mute because there are certain guys that I really like to listen to, or there's certain people I don't like to listen to. And I need to hear them too, because I want to pick apart what I don't like. Um, but it's really just like, I, you know, I watch hard knocks, the, the show on the NFL on HBO and they always talk about mental reps on the field. And I never, like, I used to do a lot of envisioning before a game. I'd sit there and I'd kind of see myself like making certain plays. And that is really how I've got, like a lot of how I've gotten better is like mental going through it. Like I might not even be saying it out loud, but I'm thinking about when there's a goal, you know, I might be watching a national broadcast and I'm thinking about what I would say. Sometimes it matches up to what Eddie O would say. Sometimes it's completely different than what Eddie or Jonesy or Bush or any of those guys would say. So that's a big thing for me is, is like just mentally saying it in my head and, and going through a game while I'm listening uh, to the hockey game. Colby, what do you think, you know, as, as you step into your role with the Blackhawks, what's that, what's your first year going to look like? What are the things that you're going to be doing? Yeah. So, um, I think the, the, the plan is, is a lot of studio work the first half of the year. Um, I think that Eddie Olchick's schedule doesn't really get, um, crazy until the second half of the year when hockey really picks up on national TV. So I know that there's a couple of dates, uh, early in the year, one in Winnipeg, Edzo let me know that he wasn't able to go to. Um, so, 
I think it's going to be a lot of studio work. Um, I know the Blackhawks have some exciting people that they're planning to bring in on their studio, some uh, former players, um, you know, nothing official yet, but they told me some of the guys, which could be really exciting and fun people to work with. The studio for home games is actually on the concourse, which is really fun. I used to get to do that at the Boston Garden uh, for the for the Beanpot tournament and for the NCAA playoffs for Hockey East because the, you're, you're part of the atmosphere um, and you really can feel the energy in the building. So I think it's going to be a lot of that, Frank. I think they're probably going to want to have me – you know, very present on their social media channels. Uh, we've talked a lot about a production company that actually works for the team, their full time and getting to like do stuff with players, whether it's on the ice, whether it's in their homes, just sort of, you know, using the fact that a lot of these guys in some way, shape or form I played with and against, and I know them just because, you know, I'm 32 years old. Uh, these guys are my peers, um, drafted year, draft years, American league college, you know, some of these guys you go back to peewee hockey with. I mean, um, so I think utilizing me in that way and, and, you know, having me connect with the players to like make the fans get to know these guys. Cause I, just, I don't think fans ever get to know the guys that well, because I mean, you guys work in the media, you know how the guys are. Nobody wants to say anything. Everybody says the same, you know, four or five things. Nobody wants to be, quote unquote, that guy. But, you know, I think for me, like trying to bring a little bit of the personality and show these guys as humans, because they are humans, I, I think that'll be a, an important part of the job as well. Wanted to ask you about um, your relationship with the game. And, you know, I have talked about this a little bit, but not really in depth. I think the last couple of weeks was your first time on skates in years. Um, and I wanted to ask you what that was ex experience was like. I think you played in a, in a charity tournament, uh, in Philly a few weeks ago, just about that experience and sort of like getting back on the ice again. Cause I know like, you know, as someone that had played and sort of had the experience you did and made it to the highest level that, um, you know, you sort of park that in its own place. And cause I had asked you a couple of times, Hey, why don't you come out and skate with us, do this, do that. And it's like, you kind of, you put that to the side and I don't know, I've never really actually talked to you about this off the air. And I'm curious to, to hear like, you know, what's it like sort of going through that transition where you, you stop playing and, you know, was there a point in your life that, you know, it, it sort of had not a negative connotation, but you're like, okay, I'm done with that. I've had my fill and I'm moving on. Yeah. Um, I did play in Cheddar Charity, which is a big event here in, in South Jersey. You know, uh, you get Johnny Gaudreau out there, Danny Briere, um, Fox played in it, Kreider played in it. I mean, they recruit their buddies. Um, you know, D'Angelo puts a team in and brings a lot of his teammates down. So it's, it's actually turned into a pretty incredible event. Our first game the other day was against Danny Briere's team, which is just fun. Danny and I are have become friends over the years and it's just fun to play against guys like that. But, you know, I think for me, I, I enjoy being on the ice. It's more of the fact that my hip and my back and my groin, they hurt. So when I skate, the, the days after are so miserable, which is why I always turn you down for a men's league game. Um, even though it's tempting, like it is tempting because it's a fun way to get a workout in you know, you don't have to run on a treadmill. You get to skate around, which is a lot more fun. So, um, you know, I, I think part of me misses being able to go on the ice every day and, and feel good. 
Um, you know, I certainly didn't feel good playing four games in five days in a charity tournament. Um, you know, I had the bag of peas on one groin, the ice pack on the other groin. And then I had, you know, the, the heat pads that you buy at the store and you can like tape to your back. So, um, you know, it's, it's more about that, but you know, it was fun to play in that tournament. It's the first time I've played in that event in almost like nine years. Um, and then since I stopped playing, which is probably, you know, 2016, I think maybe is when I stopped 2015. Um, I haven't actually played other than a BUBC charity game that summer I played in, which was a Travis Roy, Pete Frady's event, which was like all like NHL. I mean, it was like the fastest summer hockey game I've ever played in, in my life. Um, you know, of course, Johnny Gaudreau had like five goals and he, at that time he was like a rookie in the NHL, but, but you know, I haven't been on the ice and, and it was good. I was glad I played the wounded warriors team in Philadelphia asked me to play. Um, and you know, it's called the flyers warriors actually. And, you know, getting to spend four days with those guys, hearing about their different experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria. And I mean, these guys are actual heroes. Um, just one of the reasons I said yes to playing because I just wanted to be around those types of guys. And I just developed some great relationship with these guys. And, and it's funny, like these guys who I just played hockey with are the ones who have been reaching out to me all week, asking me, you know, Hey, like, we're sorry to see what happened with Jimmy Hayes. Obviously you guys were friends. Um, like they're just good people. Like, meanwhile, I should have been asking them, how are you feeling about what's going on in the world right now? Because this stuff so closely personally affects you guys. So it was fun. Uh, I'll probably try to play again next year. I'm sure the Blackhawks are going to be pushing me to join the staff skate on Wednesday mornings. Um, I've heard Danny Wirtz is a pretty good goaltender and I don't think I can say no to him if he asks me to play. So um, yeah, that, that's uh, it's, it's the game has given me everything. And even though I didn't have the illustrious NHL career that I would have liked every door that has been open for me is because of hockey. So I have no ill will towards hockey, maybe some coaches, but not towards hockey. Oh, but you mentioned uh, Jimmy Hayes, and that's obviously a, a tragic story. Uh, you were you like it wasn't just somebody you knew; like you you knew him uh, very well. And uh, uh, Frank was telling me earlier that like, you used to hang out there. Can you kind of maybe just share your thoughts on just the, the tragedy and you know very uh, premature loss of life for Jimmy and his family? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's 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 still kind of a. a tough thing to, to swallow and to, to really process. I mean, I think that, um, it's kind of been, uh, everyone is processing it. Um, usually I can articulate things pretty well. And, and, you know, I was chatting with the, the Blackhawks podcast folks yesterday and they had asked me and I had to kind of take a deep breath to like gather my thoughts on it. But I think what is most important that people know about Jimmy is, is that like he was unanimously beloved by the guys and you can see nobody has anything. He was a good friend. He was a good teammate. He was the center of attention. You know, the guys were sharing photos in a group text from our national development team days where we all played together. Um, and every photo Jimmy's smiling in the middle of the photo every single photo. I mean, and he was just this like, well, first of all, he was a larger than life guy. 
but he was a larger than life personality. And, you know, we started playing against each other probably around the age of 10 or 11 years old. Um, he was a Boston Iceman or whatever they were called back in the day. And, you know, there was a good team in Boston, a good team in New York, and we had our team in, you know, the Philly area. And then around 11, 12 years old, guys start to play together in, in hockey tournaments and, and maybe 12, 13, we started being teammates. Um, and the best way to talk about my relationship with Jimmy is, is, you know, certain players are a part of your journey to the NHL or to pro or to college or whatever. And there's probably a dozen guys, maybe less, maybe eight to 10 guys that are just pillars in you getting to that level. And that's because the family relationship, the friendship, you know, going through it together. And Jimmy was one of those guys. I mean, uh, you know, James Van Reems, like Kevin Shattenkirk, Jimmy, like there was a handful of us that sort of came up at the same time. Uh, we got recruited to a lot of the same schools. We played on the national development team together. We did summer tournaments. We, um, you know, spent time at each other's, weddings and bachelor parties and summer times together in Boston. Um, it's just, it's, it's still something that you don't believe it's real guys because it's so tragic. Um, and his family, uh, they're just some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet. I mean, it's not a secret. Jimmy was loved in every locker room. Kevin Hayes is beloved in every locker room. Mr. Hayes, who's also named Kevin, he is one of the most well-known individuals in the city of Austin. I mean, his mother, they just, they're such warm individuals. When we were at BU as freshmen and we had just got into Boston, Jimmy was at BC. Uh, he one year behind us because he repeated a year of high school. When he went to prep school, he was at Nobles. And so our freshman year, Jimmy was still, I believe, in Lincoln because after his two years at the national team, he went to Lincoln because he had one more year of high school. And like the Hayes would have us over for, for dinner, even when Jimmy wasn't there. Mr. Hayes would call Shaddy and I and Colin and he'd say, you guys want to oh, let me take you guys to dinner at the stockyard. It like going to the stockyard when you're in college is like, you know, hitting the lottery. It's it's like. And, and Jimmy wasn't even always there, but those are the people that raised Jimmy. And, you know, I loved, you know, some of the battles I had with them when we were at BU and BC, because we were such, you know, good friends, all of us. So we played harder against one another. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's shocking. And you guys have seen the uproar of support it's all genuine. I mean, every guy, no matter whether they were a call up and they played a week with him or they known him for 20 years, he had the same effect on, on every guy. And, um, you know, my, my love goes out to his family, his wife, Kristen, his children, his parents, you know, um, it's, it's, it's tough guys, but I can just tell you personally, uh, and I know, you know, I'm a little bit Frank, um, from over the years, you know, better than a little bit, actually, I think, but it, it, he was as good as advertised when it came to being a human. This is not a situation where we're just saying all this because we think we're supposed to say all this because he's passed on, but, but this is who Jimmy was and um, he'll be missed and people will think about him and uh, his presence will be missed on social media, on his podcast, amongst his friends, you know, at, 
my wedding one day, his presence will be missed. I mean, all of the above. And so um, it's, it's, it's brutal guys. And that's, you know, I know I'm a little long winded with it, but there's just, there's a lot of great things to say about them. Oh, for sure. And uh, definitely not too long winded at all. And relationships uh, in, in, in sports and life are, are huge. Now you also had a pretty good relationship with uh, Frank sitting right beside me. And uh, I want to go in a, a little bit to, uh, to, cause you and Frank, you guys played, I think on traveling teams growing up. What, like, was it, was it, was it fast Frankie Sarah Valley? What was, uh, you know, what was his moniker? What did you guys call him? What type of player was Frank? Frank was a, he was a scorer. We were forwards on the same line. Um, and his brother might've actually been on the other part of our line. If I remember correct, Frank, maybe you can chime in even and remember some of this, but I get the same question a lot when, when people ask me about Frank and people are usually disappointed when I tell them Frank was a good hockey player, because I think Frank, everyone, everyone thinks Frank is like 50 years old. People don't realize Frank's only 33 years old. So maybe 34, Frank, I don't, I know you're one or two years um, above me, but, but yeah, Frank was a good hockey player. Um, we played together like, you know, squirts, peewees, I think. And then I kind of started to you venture out of like the area Four different teams. So we, we, you know, we could, we would get you when we could get you. Exactly. Yeah. Like my, my dad had me skating eight days a week. So, um, and, but, but we did, we did do play on tournaments together. We traveled together. I remember playing in you know, tournaments in Toronto together, even when we were on that bike line team, I actually have some really good photos of Frank and I from like being 12 years old team pictures. Um, and like, they're funny, funny photographs because we're making stupid faces and whatnot. But, but yeah, we, uh, we were, we played, you know, his dad was our coach. His dad knows the game of hockey really well. I I've, I've sat with his dad at flyers games over the past four or five years. And like, He's a very informed hockey individual. I mean, you you would think so with what Frank does, but but the Cerevalis are a hockey family. I, I can confirm that uh, that is true. Now, just one more, and then we'll get to Frank. So, explain though, how was Frank's personality? Was he a little bit of a hothead on the ice? Was he just a skilled guy? How, how was he? I don't remember you being temperamental on the ice. I mean, I think I was definitely I was a spaz off of it. <laughs> I, I was the baby, so I probably made everyone else seem mellow because I had such a temper or I was, you know, very high maintenance probably would be the best way to put it even at a young age. So yeah, I would say I you remember, were, you were more high strung is how I would put it. Okay. There you go. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. But, but I remember Frank being like more of a skilled player. I mean, at that age, most guys are, but we were on select teams together, which was generally like the best kids from every team. So um, you know, you have to be skilled in order to make those teams, even at that age, you got to be able to, you know, you got to be a skilled guy. Man, those were uh, some really fun memories. And, and also just like, I always think, you know, thinking back on your career and, and how you got to where you were, just how different the sort of paths are, right? Like, you know, you, you played a ton. Um, like you were always on the ice. I remember we'd have a game and, you know, we'd play in Valley forge, for instance, you'd like hop in your car and go play on another team in North Jersey. Like Colby was always going somewhere, always playing. And I wonder, you know, then we, we, we just had actually, um, Jason's nephew. Uh, we just taped an episode as well. He plays for the sharks and, you know, he didn't play any spring hockey at all growing up. And so like, there's all these different paths to make it to the NHL. And I always wonder sort of how that contributes to a, you know, you mentioned earlier a player's journey 
um, how different some of these paths can be. Yeah. Um, I loved it. I was, I liked going to practice during the week. Like I loved being on the ice. If I could sleep with my gear, I did. I mean, I watched hockey as much as I could. I was a nerd about it when I was a kid and I used to sit in school and try to write the rosters down from as many teams as I could remember, because this is before Wi-Fi even, you know, like we didn't even have Wi-Fi when we were that age. So it's not like I could just go on my iPhone and like look at NHL.com. So it was, it was what I love to do. Like I'd go from, you're right. We'd have a game at Valley Forge and then I'd have a skating lesson at Voorhees or at the Coliseum or wherever. And, you know, I'd have blisters all over my feet because, you know, the skates were never getting a chance to dry, but my dad was willing to do it. And he kicked me in the ass when he needed to. But for the most part, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It it was like where I was most at peace. And, um, you know, I, I don't recommend it for every kid because most kids who do that probably burn out. Uh, I don't think I ever actually felt burnt out from it, but, but that was, uh, it's funny you bring that up because like, I, I haven't really thought about that in a while, but I, I do remember that. Do you think playing all that time, is there any, in, any connection to that, to your hip and, and, and groin issues, do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. And I've actually been told that, you know, skating year round at that age and, and skating too much can lead to hip issues, back issues, groin issues. Mike Boyle, who's a guy I've, I've trained a lot with in my life from BU all the way through my pro career, is not a proponent of doing what I did as a kid and says that it leads to those things. So, um, you know, we know a lot more now than we did then. And I wouldn't have had it any other way. If, if my dad would have said, no, sorry, you can't go. Like I would have probably thrown a temper tantrum. Um, so it is what it is. And, and I really don't, I don't have any regrets on those type of things. That's for sure. All right, let's play a little rapid fire Colby. We usually wrap up our, our guest segments with this. Um, just the only rule of rapid fire is you have to answer the question. All right. So what does, after calling a game on TV, how does Colby Cohen wrap up his night or do you have a drink of choice? What do you, what do you add to? Any drink I can get my hands on at the, (laughs) after a game, I'm not picky because in some cities you can't be picky. What are you most looking forward to about living in Chicago? I hear the food's really good. You know, supposedly it's a great, great restaurant city. Okay. Name the toughest coach that you played for. Toughest Jack Parker. Why? He's the iron fisted ruler there. There's no conversations with Jack. It's my way or my way. (laughs) White Sox or Cubbies. Cubs. Cubs. All right. Um, the, uh, if, if you go back in time and you can only pick one in their heyday in the playoffs, you need Taves or Kane on the ice. Who are you taking? I'm biased towards Kaner. Um, I'm I, Kaner is my first choice for pretty much any question in those regards. I, I got to be teammates with Kaner at the national development team. I've just seen up close and personal, so many times how good he is that I'm taking Kaner all day. Who was the best player you played minor hockey with who didn't go on to a college or pro career? 
best player I there was a kid who I played with um with the junior flyers his name was Dominic Marone uh South Jersey kid I don't know if you remember him Frank yeah. but mm-hmm. he was like unbelievable select 13 select 14 select 15s but then guys sort of started to catch up to him with puberty and you know he didn't really grow but he was he was unbelievable at minor hockey Sorry, Frank, you're, you're not the answer. Yeah, no, I knew I wasn't going to be, but I was actually thinking about that question. And I, I know he played with you at BU, but the best player that I remember playing against um, on some of those select teams and tryouts and stuff was Luke Popko. What kind of role did he play on your BU team? He was a fourth line, you know, role player, face off guy. Um, you know, he, he was the same height from probably like 13 years old to now. He was a man, like he was a man oh, playing like 12, biggest, like 14 new selects. Like it was like, he, I was like a baby compared to him. He, he could squat like five, 600 pounds in the weight room at BU. He's like the strongest guy I've ever seen. Jeez. Powerful. I love it. Um, were you a superstitious guy because it's not like you played all the time so maybe you didn't have time or were you like a left right shin pad shin pad skate skate guy no i mean i wasn't superstitious i mean i got dressed the same way like habitually but what i what i realized pretty quick once i got to pro hockey was like you really in my situation if you're real superstitious you're screwed because one day you're in the minors one day you're called up then you're sent down you might not even get an opportunity to travel with the team, what you're going to eat. Like you just have to be flexible when you're kind of like a depth player. And I got called up a lot and got healthy scratched a lot. So um, I just realized pretty quickly, like you gotta, like, you, you can't, you can't mentally, you know, go to those places. Okay. So Colby was a, here's some background. Colby was a black ace when the Boston Bruins won the Stanley cup and he was on the ice, part of the celebration on the charter on the way back has a photo, you know, sitting on the plane with the cup. Can you give us a, a PG rated version? Like what was that Bruins Stanley cup party? Like, yeah. So I got, I was lucky that I got to travel all playoffs with the team and I got to practice a lot of days with the team and sort of be in the meetings every day. So like, I kind of got the front row, VIP experience, I guess you could call it. And, um, when we won that night, it was obviously like incredible trying to get my gear on to get on the ice. My hands were like shaking. I could like barely get my skates tied. It's like, it's, it's exciting. Even though you want to be out there playing, it's still exciting. You know, you get to go out and lift the Stanley cup. So, um, obviously we get back into the locker room. The champagne is like everywhere. Um, you know, the, everything is getting soaked. It's wild. And we were supposed to stay in Vancouver that night, but there was some issues with security and things that were happening in the city. So they, they kind of give us like, like on the loudspeaker to in the dressing room, they're like, we're leaving. Like, we're not staying in Vancouver tonight. We got to get out of here. So we, we get everything together. We get to the plane, we get on the plane. There was probably like a few hundred bottles of Dom Perignon champagne, <laughs> like a few hundred. Like it took up like multiple seats on the plane, how much champagne was on the plane. And the boys were, they were having a good time. They were singing and dancing. I mean, not many people slept. It was an, it was a six hour flight from Vancouver overnight. Our, our strength coach was like going insane, uh, singing with the guys, you know, everyone was taking photos. 
you know, the guys were awesome, especially to like me and the other, you know, three guys that were still with the team as sort of the extras. They let us get our time with the cup. They let us get pictures with it. And they like kind of appreciated the fact that we had to get bag skated every day. And they'd literally put us on the stationary bike until we threw up before every freaking the end of every first period to keep us in shape. God forbid we were to play. Um, and so the guys were super appreciative towards us and like really like shared the moment with the, with us, like young guys it was Barkowski, myself, Trent Whitfield, who's not so much of a young guy and, um, Jordan Curran, who was their first round pick. So, you know, getting that opportunity to party, I mean, it was fun singing, dancing. Uh, we get back to Boston, the parade, one of the most surreal experiences of my life, like being on those duck boats, I was with Krejci and Luchik, which was like a fan favorite duck boat, um, passing the cup from duck boat to duck boat. I got a chance to lift it right on the stretch where we were at the Boston commons and all the TV cameras were there. So like there were so many clips of like me getting to, to lift the cup up over my head. It, it was it, it was unbelievable. Like parties were awesome. Wait, Everyone so wait, behaved. Wait. We've seen the receipt. Like it still gets tweeted every now and again from Foxwoods, that celebration at the casino of all, whatever that tab was, what part did Colby Cohen drink? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was not drinking the Bud Lights. There was a, like 26 Bud Lights on there. And I, I think I was probably sticking to the vodka, but that was a fun night at Foxwoods biggest bottle of champagne I've literally ever seen in my life. This bottle of champagne had to be five feet tall. Like it, it was, came. Was it, a, with, it was a hundred thousand dollars, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't look at the bill. That's just the bottle sure, of champagne. So. Like, it, like yeah. they, people it still a, tweet the tab. Like, yeah. like, it's unbelievable. It was a hundred thousand dollar bottle of Ace of Spades champagne. And it came with two like pourers. So like <laughs> the guys what their job was to just pour it in your mouth when you wanted a sip of it. So I thought you were going to tell um, us they'd be like scantily clad women doing it. No, but we got like a whole section of the, the shrine night. I think it was shrine at Foxwoods, like shut down. Um, and we were just kind of allowed to like wave people in as we so pleased, but um, fun night, like just an unreal group of guys. Like you get to party with Mark Recchi when you're 21 years old. I mean, like, that's like, I watched Mark Recchi play our whole childhood. You know what I mean? Like char, I mean, all these guys. And so that was just, I mean, you know, I kind of tried to like stay in the back as much as I could and like, you know, stay in the back, it's, but, but awesome group of guys, like such character, like characters, like forget character. I mean, like these guys are characters, you know, Sean Thornton, what a fun guy to like win and party with. Um, it, it's just a uh, great, unbelievable time. Well, Coley, that sounds like a great one. That's a great way to end it. Uh, yeah, not really so much rapid fire, but like, what a story. No, that was awesome. I loved it. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. So we'll have to talk to you again soon and uh, best of luck uh, on the new gig with the Hawks. Good luck with the yeah. move, buddy. And, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work and uh, super impressed with what you guys have, have launched off the ground and, and what you guys have accomplished and like really like put your guys selves in the front and you know center of, of what you guys are trying to do. So congrats to you guys as well. Oh, Colby was awesome, Frank. Love a little run down uh, memory lane playing in, the, in your, your young youth day. So now you were a good young player. When did, when did you peak? Well, it, it's funny. Um, 
I realized kind of quickly that I didn't have the passion for the game. Like I didn't like going to the rink. I didn't like putting in the work. I didn't like the summer workouts. I didn't like all that stuff. And I don't know if that makes me lazy or if it just wasn't my passion. I also knew that I just, you know, I didn't, I was a really good skater. I just didn't have the sort of drive to do it. And I never, you know, I don't know if I saw it and could, you know, sort of foresee that I didn't have a future in it and sort of pivoted kind of early. And, um, you know, I, for the longest time I had set my sights on being an NCAA division three player. And I, I think I could have gotten there and I, you know, I'd played sort of low level junior B and sort of, you know, even at 14, 15 years old playing with guys that were 19 and 20, I just, I liked it, but I didn't love it. And, and I think that's what really separates people is like, there's a reason why people like Colby make it because he, he just, he put in the work, he put in the time and I just, it wasn't for me. And I, I, I knew already by that point, like at 15, that I really wanted to be a writer and a reporter. And I really worked hard to try to do that. Well, it's funny because whatever it is in, in your walk of life, if you don't have that passion, eventually that's going to come out because as, as you go up the pyramid, the taller, the higher you get up, it's harder. And if you don't have the passion, because it's not so much necessarily the passion on game day, most people like the game. It's all the stuff when no one's watching the summer workouts, you know, going to bed. I, you know, uh, we record, uh, uh, my nephew, you know, and I remember like from the age of 16, there's not many house parties you go to because you got to be in bed early and it's a real big commitment. And that's why I think my, I, I still have a big issue when I see people putting a lot of pressure on their eight to nine and 10 year olds. Cause you have no idea if they are going to buy in when they're 16 and 17 and 18 and be like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to give up a lot of other things Mm -hmm. because I got to be dedicated. You don't know that. Never mind the skill set and how they're going to mature physically and all that stuff. Hockey, funny enough for some people, they still understand it, but it's a late developing sport. It still is. There's lots of kids that don't really, you don't know if they're good or not till 16, 17, some even, you know, in their late teens, like Colt Pareko is one of the greatest examples ever of, of late developers. And, and I think that, if you don't have the passion, that's a good thing to know. It's, it's hard to admit maybe at the it time because people think you're lazy and but- you put so you put so much investment into it. Like yeah. I had spent so much time at the rink and I missed so many things. Like I didn't have a normal high school experience where I live because every single weekend, every single, you know, four nights during the week, I was playing hockey. Like I played for my high school team. I played on a junior team. It'd be, you know, we'd play high school games at eight, nine o'clock at night during the week. And then, you know, you have two of those a week, plus your two junior games on the weekend. And then you'd practice every single day. And like, you're like, I actually found it to be really freeing not to talk too much about myself, but when I was a senior in high school and I, and I had gotten a really clear picture and glimpse that I wasn't going to make it. I actually just, I stopped playing junior hockey and I, I just focused on playing high school hockey and having fun. And it was the most gratifying and um, enjoyable season that I ever had because there was no pressure first off. And second, I, I, I got to do all the things that I missed in high school. I got to do all of the fun social things, hanging out with your buddies. And I got this like real sense of, of life outside the rink. And I, I really liked it. And so I kind of wish I had done that sooner. And for any you know, person out there that may be that age that's in high school and maybe, you know, doesn't, is unsure. Like you're never going to regret spending more time with your friends and, and going to more events and doing more things because, you know, 
just the sheer statistics and odds suggest that, you know, it might not happen for you. Yeah. And never feel guilty if it's not your passion. It might be your parents' passion. It doesn't have to be your passion. That's always the message I would say. Frank, great. Uh, first time uh, doing the pod live. Uh, we'll do it. Uh, we pre-recorded another one coming up to, on Monday. Uh, it'll be uh, my nephew from the San Jose Sharks. Uh, Noah Gregor will join us. Uh, first uh, in-person interview with a player, Frank, in, in over a year. So that'll be fun. Uh, once again, uh, I'm Jason Greger. He's Frank Saravelli. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravelli and Greger. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.